Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. I invite you to go with me in your Bibles. Let's dive in. I could hardly wait to Galatians. And if you have your device or your Bible, I know we put it up on the screen, but it's, if you can, if you have your Bible, just by all means, uh, run and grab it. You can do that uh, and get your Bible. And we're going to be going Galatians chapter five. And there's a number of little scriptures. One of the things I always, I find beneficial for me is when I am, when I am listening to a speaker, if I take notes, uh, the retention is much more significant. We're talking on a topic today around what it is to pray. And it's, it's a doing thing. Prayer is an action. It's a verb. But having said that, uh, it's one of the things probably we most struggle with. And so um, some of the notes I'm going to be sharing, I trust it's going to be beneficial, has been to me. I'm going to put one in, infomercial in. I threw on, uh, I think it was Friday, this past Friday, on our uh, Instagram, you can activate it by Instagram or on our church Facebook. If you want to know how to get there, you go onto our church website, uh, auroracornerstone.ca. At the very bottom of the front page, it has Instagram or Facebook. You click on there, it'll take you to our church Instagram or Facebook. And I am putting little um, bullet points of something that I discovered over 30 years ago that has been timeless when it comes to praying. So I take about seven, eight minutes to talk about it. I'm not going to be sharing that during our times. This is just something for you if you want to take that extra step. I think you'll find it beneficial. I'm going to put one up about maybe every week or every two weeks or something like that. That's how you can find it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 8. You have it here in front of you. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh they are in conflict with each other so that you are not so that you are not to do whatever you want but if you are led by the spirit you are under the law uh, can we just have a moment of prayer before we just dive into this so lord thank you for your word enrich our lives and maybe prune us where we need pruning this morning in accordance with what you are saying, in your name we ask, amen. The study title this week is uh, Power for Living. And we are doing life together in a series. You can catch up if you so desire by going again to our website, Doing Life Together. The series is all on there. You can pick that up. You can listen to it as you travel. Many different means to do that. Today we're talking on the power for living, and it really is the power of the Spirit at work in those who are in Christ Jesus. We, last week, were talking about the whole issue of prayer. And you see a picture here of a person praying, and, and prayer can be, it's a discipline, it's not just a gift, it's for all believers, and I used to believe that prayer defined was communicating with God. And it's true, but it's so incomplete. 
prayer is really going before him. And as you if you take it from his, his, the Lord's prayer, um, uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is key part of that prayer. It is really giving earthly license for God to interfere. And he awaits our release. And, and the license is important because it's a right of a believer. It's a privilege of a believer. It's a responsibility of a believer to pray. God will not do certain things if we do not pray. And when we pray, we need to make sure we do not pray. James says, don't pray amiss. Don't just like, you know, pray whatever you see others praying. You pray like them. Pray according to how God has asked you to pray. If you pray according to his will, he will answer prayer. So last week we talked about um, some of the things with regard to prayer. And first of all, unanswered prayer is a major obstacle. When prayer does not bring results, it is an indication something is wrong. Because God is faithful to answer prayer. And God's will and word do work when they are understood and put into practice. God has not put prayer simply to be a Christian discipline. It is. But prayer is meant to move heaven and change transform our earth it is meant to make a difference and so when we aren't seeing results we need to roll back a bit and ask the question okay what's going on here something's amiss the lord's prayer and go ahead and we're going to just speak this prayer pray this prayer um i've taken this from uh the new king james so it changes a little bit it changes a little bit of the prayer there um, but it goes like this, the Lord taught them to pray, and he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive those that have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What I want to talk about today, before we actually get into uh, there are some certain steps. The Bible just lays out a number of steps on how to pray. It's not hard. It's not complicated. It shouldn't discourage you. As a matter of fact, it should actually uh, just encourage you and excite you to want to be a greater man or woman or teenager or child of prayer. But there are certain things that hinder us. And I think it's valuable. Before we get too far into this, what hinders my prayer? I want to share three things today. The first one, it should be obvious, it is sin. Sin hinders my prayer. Uh, we, I mean, there's good news and bad news. And the bad news is, well, sin, and we all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But we're talking here of willful sin. We're not talking about that we are sinners and therefore we can't pray. That would disqualify all of us. But we're talking instead here about that we are, uh, when we continue in things that we know that God has freed us from, and yet we continue to go back into that slavery, it becomes a problem when we go before him in prayer. And I love the model of the Old Testament in Leviticus, the model of the tabernacle, the building of the tabernacle, and the progression of the priest into the presence of God. The first thing he had to deal with was the issue of sin. And it's no different today. We're talking here of willful sin. Isaiah 59, 
He says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Sin is a blockage. Psalm 66 says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, note that part, cherished. If I cherished, in other words, you, you didn't deal with it. You accepted it. The Lord would not have listened. But the good news is when I do sin, not if, when I have sinned, 1 John chapter 2 says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And in 2 Chronicles, this is one of all-time favorite, chapter 7, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Note, note all those things, okay? Humbling ourselves, praying, seeking his face, but here, turn from the wicked ways, then. In other words, there's a chronology of, of events there. Then I hear it. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Sin. Let's go on to the next one. Another hindrance and a roadblock is guilt. Guilt is something that we need to know who we are. To overcome the remedy to guilt is to know what Christ has actually done for us. If we don't understand that very well, or maybe we've grown up with a guilt complex, or, you know, God, the picture of him is a big mean judge out there to get you, and he's just waiting for you to slip up so he can smack you, then we're going to have trouble when it comes to being able to get past the place of, of feeling condemned in that place of guilt, and we're going to struggle in being able to be all that God wants us to be. And so we are desiring to be able to rid ourselves of guilt and to not have any condemnation. Uh, there are those, maybe today, this morning, maybe even during the worship time, when you should be feeling good and happy. Inside, you feel that you don't measure up. Your spiritual growth is stunted because you feel God is holding some things against you. And there's some scripture, I think, that can really help. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12 is one of them. God says, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. No more. The sins will be gone, cast away. And we need to walk in the full understanding that as a surrendered child of God, once you have confessed your sins and repented of them, you're covered. I've discovered the devil uses guilt often of our past to undermine our faith. He wants me to believe that when I go before him to pray, I'm not worthy. And I really think that's the word, worthy. That I'm unworthy. And so just be thankful he even puts up with me. Just be thankful he hasn't just smacked me like a fly on the wall. Just be thankful he hasn't done that because really I'm not worthy for him to do anything on my behalf. And beloved this morning, that's not of God. You know, there's a, there's a, a saying I heard a while ago, guilt is not of God. The Holy Spirit is not a spirit 
of guilt. He convicts us, and convicts us means he will draw us to God all the time. But guilt causes us to want to turn away from him. And if you have a sense of needing to turn away, are you unworthy to go before him? That's not of the Holy Spirit. That is of the enemy who doesn't want you to go before God because you can with, with great boldness and confidence go before him and guilt would hold you back. So when the devil wants to tell you that you are guilty and you feel guilty when you start to pray and therefore you don't pray with conviction, you need to remind the devil of Isaiah 43, 25, the words of God, even I am he who blots your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. You know, what the picture is, is he throws our sin into the sea of forgetfulness, the sea of forgetfulness. So I heard somebody say one time, after we ask for forgiveness, God puts up a little sign that says no fishing. In other words, don't go back and cast back into that sea of forgetfulness to find out what was thrown in there. Stop fishing. Stop recounting those things. If God has set you free, you are free indeed. It's an obstacle. It's an obstacle to come before him with confidence in our prayer. And so sin, guilt, major blockages, the one I really wanted to make mention of, though, the last one here this morning was feelings of inferiority. Inferiority. Now, one might not think that that's going to be big enough to actually hinder prayer, but it does. And I'll explain why it does. It does because it will readjust your approach to God. Your approach will be different, and your approach will not be one to receive. Your approach will be one to, like, you know, um, you ever remember the old thing? They used to call it Nicky Nicky Nine Door, I, something like that, where you used to run around and you bang on, you knock on somebody's door, and then you take off, and they open the door, and nobody's there. And, and, and our prayers will tend to be like that, where we won't stay before our Lord because of inferiority. We don't feel we, we can stand before him for any length of time. A little different than guilt. Guilt is based on our sin. But inferiority is based on my position, who I am. And we struggle with who we are. And maybe it's come through some bad teaching. So we want to correct some of that bad teaching. And maybe this morning can be the first step in correcting that. So this one, feelings of guilt, you have a low opinion of yourself maybe. And maybe you call it you're just a humble person. And there's nothing wrong with being humble. As a matter of fact, humility is very important. But humility is that we don't see our side, ourselves higher than we ought. But on the same measure, let's not see ourselves lower than we ought. God has done some amazing things on our behalf, and we need to rejoice and receive it and not reject it. That would be quite insulting. I want to read from Ephesians chapter 1. Follow with me as we read this. Then I'm going to go back and unpack it a bit. Verse 4. For he, God, chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will 
to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the time reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Now, there's a lot of words there. I got that. Can I give, we go back to the beginning first? There's just so much in here. Remember, Ephesians was a really nasty city. Back at the time, it was the city full of corruption. Immorality was rampant in that city. It was known for a city of criminals to hide. It was a city of, of, of uh, licentiousness. You could do anything. All lust could be fulfilled in the city of Ephesus. And so the Christians really struggled in their faith. And Paul had to take time to let them know that your past is forgiven and this is now who you are. And this is part of the teaching. This is who we are today in 2021. Verse 4, he chose us. Note the word chose. You were chosen be, before, you know, before you were born, you were chosen. He chose you, he said. He chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Those are tender words. It says he predestined us for adoption to sonship. We were adopted to be sons and daughters, not fostered out. Nothing wrong with that. Not simply servants or workers, but he wanted us to have full rights. You've been adopted in accordance with his pleasure. Now, sometimes you think people adopt because they feel sorry for you. He says he adopted because he wanted to adopt you. And it says he wills to adopt you. And if he had to do it all over again, he would do it again. According to his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious, and note that glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves freely given you grace he he doesn't give grace reluctantly he gives grace generously he wants to he wants to give that grace to you then it goes verse seven in him we have redemption through his blood redemption that's a whole beautiful picture where he just says everything's been fixed i've cleared the accounts there's no there's nothing in the account against you anymore you don't owe anything anymore i've redeemed you i've redeemed you by the blood forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. There he is again. Riches, in other words, his grace isn't just enough to get through. It's abounding, mountains of grace. You can never overspend God's grace. That, verse 8, that he lavished on us. Oh, I like that word, lavished. Lavished means he just keeps, maybe some of you got lavished at Christmas time. Um, you know, you get spoiled. And that, that sense of, you, we, sometimes we as parents, we look back and we go, okay, we kind of lavished a little too much this year. We went maybe overboard. But that's the picture. He lavished his grace upon us with wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to, here it is, his good pleasure. He was pleased to do it, which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Here, verse 11, in him we were chosen there's the word chosen again 
having been predestined according to his plan to work out according to his will. Grab hold of those words. Paul was saying it with great intentionality. That's how he feels towards you. So what does this have to do with prayer? Well, Hebrews 4, verse 16. So let us then, then how? Well, go back to Ephesians chapter 1 again. Based on all those things we know, let us then approach him. Approach him on that level. Approach him, God's throne of grace, here it is, with confidence. See, if I understand that, then I approach him differently than if I don't understand that. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In other words, if we're going to receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need, that's what we want when we enter into prayer, then we need to approach him properly. And if we have feelings of inferiority when we approach God, we're going to struggle with this. And we won't approach him, his throne of grace, in our times of prayer with that confidence that's necessary in order to receive the mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. I learned years ago that if I approach God disbelieving that I deserve answers to my prayer, if I approach God begging him, and listen to your prayer sometimes, do you, have to, do you use the word please a lot? If you do, you don't have to. Because please, is, is it, you almost get into the place of begging him. That doesn't move the heart of God. Begging doesn't move. It's knowing who you are moves his heart. It's dealing with sin. It's dealing with the guilt that you are no longer guilty. You've been set free. And then you don't have to beg him. You don't have to fall before him. It's kind of like a picture of a court of law. Prayer is a legal right. He's not just granting you a privilege when you pray. Now, this might be new to some. Prayer is not just a privilege. It's kind of like a, a little footnote that God allows us to pray once in a while. No, prayer is significant to our existence and the future. It's not simply something he's, he's, he's putting up with. Prayer is a legal position. Now, when you have a legal position, you don't have to beg because you have some legal rights. You don't have to beg. If, if that right is yours, you can just say, hey, this is my right. And you can ask with that full assurance, it's already a right of yours. So the picture is a picture of court. When you walk into the courtroom, I want you to picture that Jehovah God is the judge. He's your father. Now, we need to get out of our head that the judge wants to condemn you. He does not want to condemn you. As a matter of fact, if he did, we'd all be condemned. No, quite to the contrary, John 3, 16, God so loved all of us, He's worked everything possible so that we will never be condemned again, that we have redemption, we've been brought back, there's no condemnation, right? He's done it all. So the judge actually is, a, he wants, he's, he's out for your best. When we approach the judge, we need to picture Jesus, if you would, on our left, which is the witness side. And the Holy Spirit is on your right, and he's your counsel. And he is your counsel. He's giving counsel. John chapter 14, verse 16 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. He's your advocate. He's your counsel. So when you go before the just judge, your counsel is there, and he is there on your right giving counsel and guidance every moment of every day. We, we appreciate that. We acknowledge it. 
but also to recognize Jesus on my left. So when we stand before him and we say, okay, here's, here's what is it you're asking for? We say, well, I'm asking for this. And because my witness is there, yeah, he, he has full rights to get it. He has full rights because of me. This is the legal stance. When I go before God in prayer, I go before him legally as a child of God. And legally, it's set in motion. The laws of God, which cannot be rescinded, the laws of God will flow to answer prayer because legally I stand before him. Romans chapter 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So, men, women, teenagers, kids, quit feeling inferior when you approach your father. Some people believe you shouldn't come boldly, but with mildness. And it's okay. I think the posture of going before him kneeling helps me to appreciate that it's fully on his merits I approach him. But sometimes we get so caught up with that that we never get out of that posture. We are God's children. We are God's children. I'm God's son. We read in Ephesians 1 what that means. I'm God's son. We are his children. And so let's approach him as a child. Mom, dad, those mom and dads listening here, how would you feel if your son or your daughter came into the house crawling on the floor because they're afraid to look up at you and would ask you, please, Feed me today. Now, I see some of you smiling because some of your teenage kids actually do that. Can't feed them enough. But no, if your child, how would you feel if that was the only way they felt they could approach you? That they had to come on their knees and not even look into your face to beg for a right that is theirs. See, it's their right to be fed by you. They have a right. It's a legal right. So how would you feel if they begged you? I'd feel horrible. I've done something wrong. You know, if, if that's what's happening, I have, I have so misplaced my authority in the home. See, that's not how God has set our family relationship up with him. Our relationship is not as a beggar. It's not as a servant. It is a child. So when this is happening, we would agree that we need to help our children understand how much we love them. And that they have rights standing in the family. What's mine is yours. And you have full rights to what's mine. Now, this is important when it comes to prayer. That's why I'm taking extra time on this whole thing of feeling inferiority. Because I want to go to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We need to understand the Father in heaven is actually asking us, son, daughter, what do you want? He's asking that. What do you want? And so when I approach him, I approach him knowing he's already leaning forward, wondering, what is it you want, my son? Now, does he already know? Of course, he's omnipotent. He's uh, omnipotent and, and he's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere present. He knows all that. But he waits for me. What is it you want? Ask, ask, and you will receive. Ask what it is. I want to take you to the story in Luke chapter 15. Of the prodigal son. If you remember, and if you, if you aren't familiar with the story, invite you to read the whole story in Luke 15. But the story has a picture where there's a son who 
takes his inheritance and he squanders it. He takes off to a different country and he burns it off in frivolous living. He comes to a point in his life where he takes census of his environment and he is feeding pigs, eating their food along with them. And he comes to the place of where he thinks, life for me really stinks. And literally and figuratively, it stinks. And in his mind, he remembers his home. Now, he must have had a false picture of his home, but he's remembering his home. He feels if I can just go back and if I can beg dad to make me a servant, because I have no rights as a son because of what I just have, have just done. I'll go beg him to be a servant. So the story continues. He goes, and the father's waiting for him. The father runs to him, and the son starts in on the father, and he starts by asking the father, Father, would you make me your servant? And if you read the narrative, very intentionally, Luke, who's careful with his words, he's a, he's a doctor, he knows words matter. Luke, very carefully, records, the son begins to say, make me your servant. And he starts into the thing he had rehearsed, and the father stopped him. You see, the, the sentence stops, and the father interrupts his son. And the father would not hear of it. The father calls him, my son. You return home with full rights of sonship. And the father then calls his servants to give the son full rights. Put the robe of the family on him. Put the sandals on his feet that he steps up off the dirt of this world and place my signet family ring back on his family. He's a son. So what was, what was dad saying? Dad was saying, son, you, you're mine. You're not a servant. You're mine. You don't ask. You don't act. You don't have to be like the servants. You're my son. You have rights the servants will never have. You're my son. And then the father turns to the servants and says, go and prepare the fattened calf. We're going to celebrate today. We're going to have a great feast. He turns to the servants and asks that of the servants. Now, let's bring this to today. You and I, we're called, we just read, we're sons and daughters. When we approach the father, we don't approach him as servants. We approach him as sons and daughters. Inferiority would have you thinking you need to beg and plead. No, you don't have to. It's a legal right. It's a legal right. You can approach him on the legal right of what his son has done on the cross, and he has set us free. Our sins have been forgiven. Now I approach him with legal right. I stand before my father. I am his son. He loves his son. He loves his son as his own life. He loves me as he loves himself. He loves you as he loves himself. And when you stand before him, you stand before him in full legal rights. Now here's the part. Here's the real cool thing. Who are the servants? Well, we read in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 7, and it says in Hebrews 1, 7, in speaking of the angels, he said, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. There's a scripture I didn't put up, but it's found if you just go down to verse 14, Hebrews 1, 14, it says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So who's the servants? They're all around you. They're around me, even here in this empty building. Angels. Nobody really knows how many. I just read this past week. I'm doing a study in Hebrews, and the commentator suggests there's over a million, maybe millions of them. Many. And the purpose of these unseen 
angels of God is servants of God. Are they real? Yeah, the Bible says they're real. We have glimpses of it. We see it in Hebrews. And we don't pray to angels, but they are God's servants. They are not his sons. They are not his daughters. You and I are. We were made in the image and the likeness of God, not the angels, and we have been adopted as sons. When we approach God in prayer, when I go before him, oh, Father, I come in the name of your son, Jesus. Remember, he's my witness. He's, my, he's saying, yes, he has full right, legal right. Father, I now ask you to, and then we begin our prayer. I pray for such and such who is sick and infirmed. And now, in the right of your son, heal them and restore them. Now, you are approaching God when you ask that. You're approaching him not as a servant. You're approaching him as a son, which means you have full rights. Full rights as a son. And what God does when you approach him as a son, he releases, Hebrews 1, verse 7, verse 14, he releases his ministering angels to answer prayers. And when you read throughout scripture, you see angels. You see in Daniel chapter 10, angels answer, or chapter 9 answering prayers. You see the story of Mary uh, when she received and Gabriel went answering prayers. Over and over, you see angels stepping in, answering prayers. The mulberry bush and the great battle, the 185,000 Assyrians destroyed. Angels were activated. How were they activated? Well, they're activated today by believers, you and I. As sons and daughters of God, when we go before him and we, we go as children, not in fear as servants, we are, not ser we are servants to the degree that we serve him, but we also go with full legal right that when we enter into his presence, the father, and that's how he looks upon us, as the father did the prodigal, don't tell me all about your servant. Tell me what it is, son. Tell me what it is, daughter, that you are asking of me so that I might release those angels to do the will of the Father. Remember that prayer? Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. So I, here's prayer. Prayer is what his will is. You're bringing it before your dad, and you're saying, let it come to pass. And he says, it will come to pass. Now, we can't determine the timing the circumstances around it. Okay, that's out of my control, but I come and I stand before him with that confidence in prayer before my God. So when you pray like a child of God, you activate his ministering angels. They fulfill what you've prayed according to his word. So when you pray, keep, on, keep in mind Christ before you. And if you don't see anything happen, you still keep Christ before you. You have full legal rights before your Lord. However long it takes, keep the position before him in accordance with his word. And he answers prayer. He answers prayer. I trust this has been helpful because to me it has, I've had to overcome those hindrances in my life. And I know many have had to overcome those hindrances. I'm dealing with the sin, deal with it. Search my heart, Lord. And then guilt, he's cast away. I come, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now I come not simply as a servant, I come as a child, and now as a child with legal rights, I present my case before my loving God, not to force him, but he awaits for me to present it as a son. And he delights, he says, he, he, it's his pleasure, once we do that, to move on our behalf. 
to bring his plans to place. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.